Hey everybody, it's Kenya, and this is the Thank You For Saying No podcast, where we find meaning in life's unexpected turns. Tony Morrison, welcome to the Thank You For Saying No podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Kenya. I'm, I'm excited to talk so today. I'm excited that you're here. Yeah. So you guys, for all the listeners at home, you're in for a really special treat today. Tony Morrison, he's just incredible. He's an Emmy and a GLAAD award winner. Yep. Okay. And <laughs> he's also worked as a producer on Good Morning America, ABC, CNN, Time, and Life. And do you host? Is it a podcast called? So I have a web series a web that series. will be soon a podcast. <laughs> you heard it here first. But yeah, I'm never bored. Yeah. As you can imagine. Yeah. And is that called Truth Be Told? Truth Be Told, yeah. Okay. And I think we'll get into that later. We absolutely will. Okay, good. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about Tony's incredible journey, choosing to publicly disclose and share his HIV status and how that's changed his life and really paved the path for others as well. So let's just get right into it. Okay. Yeah, please. So let's start with your no moment. And here yeah. on the podcast, we call no moments like times where things just didn't work out as we thought they would in a very life changing way. Yeah. So I want to talk about your no moment. What was your initial reaction when you found out that you had HIV? Yeah, I mean, my diagnosis, I mean, the no moment for me was definitely an oh no <laughs> moment yeah. for sure. Yeah. And an HIV diagnosis is 100% exactly as horrible as you think it would be. Mm-hmm. Full stop, hands down, um, despite, which we'll also get into, the yeah. the medical advancements that we have today and the life that I'm living today. The diagnosis itself was, was very rough. And yeah. this was way back in 2013, so 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And which really wasn't that long ago, but I had just moved to New York City, uh, this bright eyed, bushy tail, I'm going <laughs> to take over the world and be a famous photographer, all yeah. these, all these things. Right. So I had just moved to New York City. Um, six months after I had moved to New York, I um, came out, publicly came out as as gay in a Facebook post because mm-hmm. that was what you did back then. Yeah. You posted it on Facebook, <laughs> right? Where did you move from? I moved from Florida. I grew up in Orlando. Oh, Florida. Yeah. Okay. And oh yeah, you're a Florida girl too. Yeah, well, I went to law school in Miami. Oh my gosh, I went to USF for undergrad. Oh nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. New York was my big move. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. my suitcase in a dream, right? Sort of mood. I, I, I had family up there. My mom's sister, my aunt, I lived with in Staten Island. It was a two-hour commute into oh the God. city, one way. <laughs> and I was, I don't talk about my first, first, first job. Yeah, for real, first job a lot. But yeah, I was doing some freelance photography, shooting weddings for mm-hmm. um, friends from college, and doing fashion week, and getting into that sort of space. And yeah. my first legit job was folding clothes Aww. on Fifth Avenue at Lacoste. Oh my god! <laughs> I have to remember, incredible. I was making like twelve fifty an hour, and oh I was like. God. Oh my God, mm-hmm. I've made it. I'm yeah. making so much money. I'm living the dream. It's so like, like just to give you the mindset of like yeah. the kind of 22 year old uh, mold of a person I was when I moved there. Yeah. Everything was great. Mm-hmm. Two hours into the city, just doing it. This is the life. This is the life. Yeah. And so that's the mindset that I um, publicly came out with on this yeah. Facebook post. And then a few months after that, um, I found out I was HIV positive mm. through a, 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 t- a take home test, and I did a take home test because it was it's really interesting. My experience, I had a, a really gr- a really good group of of gay friends, and there was a big push for testing in the city at the mm-hmm. time, and it came up over brunch like we should go together and get tested and yeah. i'm like i don't know if that's fun yeah so <laughs> um i sort of declined out of that mm-hmm. um i don't know if it was one of those crazy brunch com- brunch conversations yeah but that did inspire me to get tested yeah and um i discovered that at a local walgreens just mm-hmm. right at right at the checkout in the pharmacy there's take home tests and i took that and did it and it came back positive. Wow. And I just remember being very emotionless. Yeah. I wasn't angry or sad or thrilled or anxious or I need to get care right away. I would just remember being very cold mm-hmm. and alone and yeah. very just a lack of emotion altogether. Like almost numb. Like that. Numb. Exactly yeah. numb. And I just kind of took that evening and mm-hmm. just... 
went to bed, lights out. Yeah. Um, and dealt with it the next day. The yeah. best I could, the best I knew um, at the time. So what did you do next? So I didn't tell anyone for three days, mm -hmm. number one, but I started the, obviously as a take-home test, I wanted to get the real lab test and everything done. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> part of the challenge of that time, I remember, which is so different from today, is there really wasn't a solid, what what we call today is a continuity of care. Mm. There's a push to get testing, but no information what? about what to do if. Yeah. Or or how to have a conversation with friends who do. Yeah. These friends of mine who wanted to go as a group mm. to get tested. Yeah. There was no messaging or information for them yeah. to know about what to do if one of your friend. One of those yeah. friends in that group getting tested mm -hmm. would test positive. Yeah. And then there was lack of education about what to do if, mm -hmm. where to go, who yeah. to go to. And then there's a conversation about treatment and care. Yeah. What are the state and federal and local yeah. um, uh, spaces of care that can care for you before you even hit the insurance mm -hmm. zoo yeah. of it all? So I had to go through all of that by myself. I obviously was very lucky to be in New York City where a lot of the information was easy to find, but it was just a lot of information everywhere. Yeah. There wasn't one place yeah. to find it. So I remember going around to many collections of city and state provided testing centers mm -hmm. before I landed in the care at Mount Sinai, which I have been for 10 years oh, because wow. they just like know me so well mm -hmm. now. But um, yeah. How were you, how was it for you to <clears throat> like go, go to the doctor at that time? Like were people like, willing to explain to you what was going on or like how how was that for you in the beginning i definitely felt like a number yeah. even in new york city mm -hmm. there are just tests for everything right yeah. so it was just like here's your result here's who you call next yeah there wasn't really a time for one-on-one -on -one care yeah by a sheer volume of who they were treating and mm -hmm. again it wasn't just hiv it was just we are taking in yeah sick or ill people mm -hmm. in New York City mm -hmm. and it was just a lot of shuffling yeah of again here's your paperwork here's a result here's a list of people to go to and call maybe in this order yeah godspeed mm -hmm. and so I had to go through that but once I got into a, a care of more of a consistent provider mm -hmm. in New York City um they explained to me this concept of you equals you which is undetectable equals untransmittable. Yeah. Meaning if someone like myself is on proper medication mm -hmm. and that gets the virus down to an undetectable level, mm -hmm. I can't transmit the virus to, yeah. to a partner. Yeah. So a provider explaining that to me was crazy. Mm -hmm. Because that's part of the misconception. 100%. Yeah. Even just 10 years ago, mm -hmm. um, a lot of the information and what people had, what I called really whispered about people like me mm -hmm. because we really attached to this disease just horror yeah death yeah um and for for a lot of families it's like the icing on the cake of having a, a gay mm -hmm. son right mm -hmm. like that's for for religious families like mine it's sort of like a it was like a this is your punishment sort of thing. Is that how your family reacted? I grew up in a religious household. My mother didn't really feel exactly that way, but mm -hmm. there was that innate shame. Yeah. That came with being gay. And of course, like an HIV diagnosis is like, well, of course. Yeah. Sort of mindset. Yeah. So how did you heal through that? <clears throat> like how did you find your way navigating? navigating that because today like you are incredible you are like you're such a great example of living Thank you living and and how like changing the narrative around it but but before we talk about how you change the narrative around it like how did you get through that moment and those feelings yeah well, it's really interesting right because i when that first doctor told me about this concept of you equals you mm -hmm. i went into that appointment being like how many days do I have left to live? Yeah. Like, I really thought I was going to die. Mm -hmm. And I could not ever tell my family or parents or anything. Yeah. And then when she started to explain, she almost, I, I swear she was like smirking at me <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Because this concept is not new in the medical space. Mm -hmm. And so she's explaining this to me and was like, kid, you're going to be fine. Yeah. But 
it's so funny because that really didn't hit me fully until years down the road. Mm. So I kind of kept that a secret for many, many years. Yeah. Probably a total of five people in my life Mm -hmm. knew about it. Wow. And I was undetectable within like three months and it was very, that was it. Mm -hmm. And I got into television and I was working at um, ABC News for the last 10 years or so. Mm -hmm. And I started telling a lot of stories for and with people that looked like me and had my experiences. Mm -hmm. And so in producing at a morning show and working in network TV, I was telling other people's stories and I was getting into telling more LGBTQ stories, Mm -hmm. but then really noticing that my story was absent too. Mm. And I never felt like fake or dishonest in all of it. Yeah. I definitely felt like obviously a part of myself, but a part of that work, that heart in that work Mm -hmm. was really missing because I wasn't pouring my full self into that either. Yeah. So... It kind of, it was definitely not an overnight thing, yeah, as you can imagine, right. but every piece of representation, every person I would meet, a conversation I would have, mm-hmm. conversations like this, yeah. um, incrementally helped me to get there, mm-hmm. to be brave enough to share my story. Yeah. I will say, so eight years go by, I'm working in TV, <clears throat> COVID happens, mm. we're all locked away. Yeah. And it was really in that time that I had to, I had to really face myself. I took the opportunity to face myself and all of these issues and shame and trauma that I had like swept under the rug. Mm -hmm. It was there staring back in my face because (laughs) there's nothing else to do, you know? Yeah. But I also was feeling this, we went through this huge traumatic time and era of loss, you know, Mm. loss of our own routines, loss of our social life, loss of actual life. Mm -hmm. And I was really equating that to, you know, a lot of people who have dealt with HIV didn't even get the chance to live at all. Mm. So how dare I live in shame and in the shadows? Yeah. When I am perfectly healthy Mm -hmm. and have the ability to live. So all that I'm doing now is really a bit of a dedication to people who didn't get to live. That's what keeps me going, even Mm -hmm. especially on the bad days. Yeah. My HIV status is literally the most managed thing in my life. (laughs) I have a harder time trying to get a text back than dealing with my status. And that's the reality and the beauty of... um, Living with HIV today, when you have access to treatment and care, mm-hmm. the access part is probably a whole other podcast episode. Yeah, yeah. But for me right now, for me, the healing came in just living in the present. Yeah. And looking at my life as it was in that moment. Mm-hmm. And I had did that audit of sorts. And I was like, man, I built a really good life for myself. Mm-hmm. I have a pretty cushy job. Mm -hmm. I have family and friends who love me Mm -hmm. unconditionally, like actually. Yeah. And I'm on a really good trajectory. There's actually not a reason at all that I should not do this Mm. in terms of sharing my story in a big way. Yeah. I felt like I had to do it publicly and in the way that I did because that was the space that I was in. Yeah. I was running a a storytelling team at a major network and I had a bit of a profile and a platform myself but you know my, my advice to people is that you don't have to have a platform like mm-hmm. you are a platform yeah. your, your voice matters and it mm-hmm. doesn't matter how many people you think your story will reach your story is your superpower yeah and it takes a lot of guts to tap into that mm-hmm. but once you're tapped in it's like you're unstoppable. It's time to fuck shit up. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so where did you find the strength to to come out publicly with your diagnosis? And really, like, how did you how did you find that within yourself? Because you touched on that a little bit, but tell us more. Yeah, I mean, it was like a, it, it was a lot of soul searching. Mm-hmm. And... 
I will confess to you the essay idea yeah. that I finally landed on mm-hmm. was not the plan. No. And the funny part of that is none of this was ever the plan. Yeah. You know, I moved to New York actually to be a fashion photographer. And then mm-hmm. I fell into television by accident. Mm-hmm. I went to business school when I was in college and failed finance twice. Like nice. I literally can't count. So <laughs> I'm just like everything that I have ever done was mm-hmm. just the foundation of that was always just to do the next right thing for mm. myself. And I just got to a moment to where I was cornered by myself. And I knew that I couldn't break into the next level of my life and career and all that comes with that yeah. without dealing with this first. It mm. got to a place to where this this had become so big in my head. Mm-hmm. I had created such a narrative over the last eight Eight years at the time. Yeah. Eight years of lies and shame mm-hmm. that were completely untrue and unfounded. 100% not true. And I had let that build up to a place where it started to affect me materially mm. and physically. Yeah. And so once, I, man, I have to tell you, like when I, when that essay dropped, mm-hmm. just that moment. Yeah. So we worked on this essay together for a few months. Who? Uh, so my editors and I at ABC. Okay worked on this for months and I was like a little uh, timid mm-hmm. to put that out there to them and you know I've you know working with the major network you have like the parent company and legal and standards and all this stuff right. and I was like preparing myself for mm-hmm. things to cut or for them to say like this is not for us or this shouldn't be on this platform and yeah. I will tell you that my editors and the lawyers even were mm-hmm. they came back with edits for me to add things mm. to the essay wow and they found it very culturally and materially important for our audience to learn Mm -hmm. from a journalistic lens. Yeah. Um, And they asked me to expand on some things. And I was like, you want me to talk more about this? (laughs) Why is this crazy? So I knew then that it was right. Yeah. And that this was the right way to do it. And for the listeners at home, the essay he's talking about is, is his story coming out with your diagnosis and it's the most beautifully written thing you'll ever read. And it made me cry at Starbucks. Oh, I read no. it at Starbucks <laughs> and it, I read it to my dad and it was just so touching because I think what resonated with me is, is you breaking the barrier of yourself mm-hmm. and just living and being who you are. And that, that really resonated with me because I've found that I have trouble breaking through my own barrier yeah. and I'm, I limit myself. Totally. That's, I would say that's the most fascinating thing to me about this whole experience is how it's connected to people like you. Mm -hmm. In that this exact experience was completely not yours. Right. But what it meant to you, Mm -hmm. what what brought you to tears, what made you share it with your dad, Mm -hmm. what had you invite me on for this (laughs) show. Yeah. That those are the things that I can't apply the right words to. Yeah. Obviously, in gratitude, but in hindsight, if I, I'm asked a lot of times, was it worth it? Like mm-hmm. those are the things that are worth it for me. Yeah. It's the experience, experiences of other people like yourself who are getting impacted by my story, even though an HIV diagnosis specifically is not. Yeah. That experience, but mm-hmm. it moved you in a way. Um, so thank you for sharing that, yeah. number one. Yeah. And that's what's really been the most rewarding, if that's the right word, mm-hmm. rewarding part for me, is to hear other people's stories. Yeah. And to hear how, was a- how I and my story was able to push them forward. Mm-hmm. That's the superpower part. Yeah. When you tap into your superpower, yeah. you employ other people. Yeah. And inspire other people to do the same thing. Yeah. And that's really what my show, Truth Be Told, is all about. Mm-hmm. I was basically like, well, if other people are so moved by this story yeah. in this way, yeah, there has to be more stories out there mm-hmm. so more people can feel that way. Mm-hmm. So it's turned into more like conversations with friends. Yeah. Um, but this is a conversation with friends, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and those are the best kind. Wow. So how did you... How did this situation, your diagnosis, change your perspective on life in terms of like 
relationships that you've had and like your connections with people did impact that i've definitely reconnected with the yolo mentality (laughs) because it's like if you you getting up in the morning is reason to live Mm-hmm. alone yeah we have to start there mm-hmm. and we're only given one life of course but isn't life meant to be lived yeah like we're really missing out if we're if we're not mm-hmm. um i think it's just as simple as that yeah i think so yeah. this reminds <laughs> me no seriously so my my great uncle he he was like 90 before he passed mm-hmm. away But I asked him a series of questions that I thought were going to be like very long-winded answers. I sent him 10 questions about relationships and love and how to like be in a long-term relationship, all that sort of stuff. And his answers, I kid you not, were maybe one sentence per per answer. (laughs) But that's because I think the answer to most things in life is a lot simpler than we think it is. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm doing a lot of advocacy and activism work now. I'm... Communications director at Glad. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, what is Glad? Tell so us. Glad is the leading LGBTQ media advocacy group nice. in the country. Mm-hmm. So we there's obviously a lot of LGBTQ organizations in the country. Glad yeah. is the media advocacy wing. So mm-hmm. representation, visibility of queer people in mm-hmm. media, whether that's TV, film, journalism, gaming, publishing, how our stories are portrayed in media. That's Glad's lane and Glad's purpose in making sure that everybody has an equitable piece of visibility in our content. So a lot of my story um, and and that personal essay for Good Morning America had been working with Glad a lot to help bring accurate and fair storytelling into mainstream Mm. news, Um, whether it be a a reference guide or I I need queer voices for a certain story. They are a big pipeline and help with that. Now I get to do that full time. Oh my God. So I get to help that along. And it's just been, it. talk about the next right thing. Yeah. This definitely, yeah. this job that definitely did not exist just a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm very happy to be kind of like joining the movement, if you will. Yeah. But so you've, of, you found this job after your essay came out. Yeah. Is that, wow. So we were already connected, mm-hmm. myself and the GLAAD team. Yeah. And then after a number of conversations, the conversation between yeah. me and the team there were, would you like to do this here? Mm. And obviously the answer was yes. So being able to not only spotlight stories like mine, but encourage mm-hmm. other stories like mine to be in the mainstream wow. on top of the political landscape that we're in right now for yeah. LGBTQ people. I think it's so brave and really admirable if you're not seeing your story out there yeah. or your experience out there to just come out and share it. Yeah. And and then you see all these people who relate to exactly what you're going through and you're like, wow, like I should have done this yeah. sooner. And like the word representation, I think gets thrown around a lot, quite a bit. Yeah. But again, talking about just how simple things are, it's just seeing yourself yeah. represented in the world. Mm-hmm. In a story, a TV show, or, or movie you're watching. Yeah. For that to be reflected in a way where you see yourself and the people you're around mm-hmm. in the real world. That's yeah. what it's all about. Yeah. So, again, doing that full time is nuts. That's even a job. Yeah. But I get to be... Um, the word culture shift comes to mind. Mm. We talk about culture shifting at Gladaton, but that's yeah. exactly what... It is. When yeah. you see yourself mm-hmm. represented in the world, especially in content and media, yeah. we shift culture. Mm-hmm. We joke around a lot that, you know, the gays are the culture guardians of the world, <laughs> you know, because everything kind of shifts through from from yeah. ballroom to things like drag race to mm-hmm. there's so many things that we draw from each other into mainstream, not even just mainstream, but into culture. Yeah. So I love just being in the business of culture change. Yeah. But that's also our our own responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Like that's all of our jobs. Yeah. So you being authentic with your story. Yeah. What's challenging you in your life right now. Mm-hmm. You're shifting culture within the spaces you're in. Yeah. 
that's what made me start the podcast is yeah. is getting a lot of rejections. So when I graduated law school, I was getting lots of rejections from jobs, almost mm. only rejections, actually, not just lots, but Been only. There. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yep. And so I had this, you know, big dream of working in Washington, D.C., doing environmental law. But I didn't make it. I didn't get any offers, no interviews, no nothing. So I was like, okay, <laughs> let me. Like, what's going let on? Let me rethink. Yeah. yeah. And so I just remember telling myself after every rejection, you know, one day I'll be glad this isn't working out. Mm. I'll be saying thank you for saying no one day. So then I started this podcast looking for my own inspiration. And it's been through all the interviews we've done, it's been so inspiring how each person has navigated like no moments, right? Mm. And and even like had our own known moments yeah. where we say no. And I feel like that is kind of part of your story too, is when you decided to say no almost to like hiding, right? Yeah. And like not living in shame anymore and just really coming out. So you had like two. The first one was like when you got your diagnosis. Yeah. And then the second was when you're like, I'm going to own this. Totally. And it went really from a oh no to a hell no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just like we have to have agency <laughs> over our lives. Yes. Because no one else is going to live it. Mm -mm. No. I think th so. I have like an auntie in my life. Mm -hmm. And I was going through some really hard things at the beginning of the year with my family. And she. Her her response was like so so simple because I felt like it was like really emotionally it's crazy. You feel like you always <laughs> need like an elaborate <laughs> yeah response. Of yes, sorts, right. She really was just like you have to remember how strong you are and just tap in into that strength and just be yeah. that person. And I'm like, can't be like I can't do that. Like I'm so <laughs> sad. Like I'm so sad. I can't do that. But that's but that is the truth of it is like owning your owning your own narrative and yeah. and changing it into something positive and really, you know, like faking it until you make it. But yeah. in the in the way where you're healing at the same time. Absolutely. And I think that when it comes to us creating that narrative in our in our minds, mm -hmm. whether it is my therapist calls it catastrophic thinking. We're working through it together <laughs> in collaboration. I like that. I'm going to start using that. Please do. <laughs> I have catastrophic um, mm -hmm. uh, thought traits. Nice. Um, but so there's that. And then there's like your imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. You know, that's obviously very natural. Yeah. What becomes unnatural is giving those negative thoughts more power than is needed. Yeah. And just really informing yourself that some things are really not as complicated as we are making it. Yeah. And so like for me on the advocacy side, a lot of the things that I'm tackling right now, I do have to, what gets me out of a tough day mm -hmm. is really just sitting back and just saying, this is actually not hard work. Like, if I can do X, Y, Z, I can do this. Yeah. So bring that comparison in, mm -hmm. number one. Yeah. And there's really lay out like at the most basic level what it is you're trying to accomplish. Because mm -hmm. I like to do 10 different things, jump through a maze or whatever <laughs> to get to where I'm going where you can just like actually just go from point A to point B. Mm -hmm. So there's that. And then I have to share with you a story about Please. me telling my mom yeah. also about all of this. Um, because we don't, which is kind of what you were talking to your, your, your auntie about. Yeah. Yeah. This sparked this thought because we don't give, especially our parents and family members, yeah. but our close circles too, circles of friends, we don't give them enough credit. Mm. I feel we tend to kind of think of, again, with this negative narrative that comes up, it's like, well, no one can understand this situation. Yeah. There's no way out for me mm -hmm. or I've done this to myself or I've deserved this. No yeah. one's going to have grace or positivity or even a helping hand for me. Mm -hmm. Those are the lies we tell ourselves. Yeah. And those lies metastasize over time. Yeah. You know, but part of me releasing this so publicly was for me to actually push myself into a corner again mm -hmm. to tell my mom because mm -hmm. I'd never told my mom about my status or anything. Really? And I tried to many times. It just the words just get failed it out. to come out. Yeah. Like I literally just it would not 
happen. Yeah. And so I felt like, okay, if I lined up this very public thing, everyone's going to know about it. Mm-hmm. So here it is, publish week. And my mom didn't know. Mm-hmm. So the story goes out. The next day, mm-hmm. I get a text. Mm-hmm. And it's just mom. Pops mm-hmm. up on my phone. I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> and the text just is just, do you have anything to tell your mother? <laughs> Question mark. And I'm like, oh, God. Uh, and I didn't respond to it for hours. And yeah. I was like, okay, well, this is the moment you had crafted for yourself. Yeah. Talk yeah. about catastrophic thinking. Right. <laughs> <laughs> And so we had a phone call Mm -hmm. and she said, you know, I read your essay three times over Mm -hmm. and I could not believe what a strong son I raised. Yeah. That was her response. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I was like, what? (laughs) You're not like, what? Yeah. Now you're coming at me with love. What is this? Excuse (laughs) me? And so we had, ever since that conversation, we've kind of had this no secrets with each other conversation. Wow. So our relationship has benefited from me just being authentic. Yeah. But we don't give our parents and our family around us, family who raise us, like enough credit, I think. Because I tend to forget they lived a completely other lives before us. Yeah, they did. They really So there's that part. Yeah. I think, you know, you, we're powerless over other people. Mm. But the one thing that we can control is ourselves. Yeah. And when you live authentically, in my experience, when I've lived authentically and lived in my truth, those around me are forced to adapt to however yeah. I, you know, feel true to myself. And, and you, that sounds like what you did. Like you were so honest and so vulnerable mm. and so real about you in your essay like, how else could you respond? Like, you yeah. know, like your mom reacted to your greatness. Yeah. And I just, you know, for the listeners at home, I think if you're feeling like you're feeling stuck or you're not sure, like always own your truth and always live in your truth and yeah. the rest will adapt how it's supposed to. Totally. No, thank you for that. Yeah. It's very, very kind. Yeah. Very sweet. But it's also, again, like it's an incremental thing. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't have to feel like, it all happens overnight or you have to have a public moment. Right. Right. Yeah. No, these things take lots of time, lots of healing, lots of therapy, lots of, (laughs) lots of talking. It's definitely one of those. Yeah. I I couched this in, in, in the cliche, you'll know when you know. Mm hmm. So how did it feel when you were writing so authentically, but working with editors and lawyers and, you know, you touched on how it was like they were really supportive and wanted more. Yeah. But how was that for you? So I was pretty shocked Mm -hmm. because I was sort of, I was plucking things from my mind. Yeah. I just needed all of this to leave my brain and to get on paper. Mm -hmm. And... For it to be an essay or an article was never the iteration. I just knew I needed to write. Right. And so when it became an essay and something I took as an idea, it's my editors. Mm -hmm. They really did handle it with care. Mm -hmm. And as I was saying a bit ago, they wanted more. And that's when I was like, what? Mm -hmm. That's when I knew that this was right and what I needed to do. Yeah. On the topic of saying no mm-hmm. and being authentic and the challenge of being authentic every day, I think a lot of us, I think a lot of us can be faced with saying no to our authenticity when it's right in front of us. Yeah. So I was given that chance to say no to all of this on the day this was published. Mm. And we had a plan finally and we were going to publish it. Mm-hmm. and my editor calls me first. Everything was buttoned up. It was the day of. Mm-hmm. My editor calls me, and she goes, hey, so just want to make sure you're okay, check in with you. My mouse is over the publish button right mm-hmm. now. I just want to make sure this is what you want to do. Yeah. And I just remember there was a very long pause, and I like looked at, did the dramatic look out the window, <laughs> and... Had that micro thought of like, do I really want to do this? Mm-hmm. I could do it tomorrow, tomorrow or the next day or whatever, but do yeah. I really want to do this? And so I went back to her and I was like, yeah, 
let's go for it. Mm. And it came up on the website and I could just feel yeah. a physical weight came off my body. Wow. It was, I will never forget it. Yeah. It was just, I felt like a new person. I, what I likened to maybe seeing color for the first time yeah, sort of feeling. Yeah. But I just remember a weight just come off of my body as soon as that yeah. was live on the website. Because you were like finally just free almost. Completely. Completely free. Yeah. You didn't have to hide anything. Yeah. Because it was also all out there. It was. <laughs> so. Yeah. And now I just go about my life with. I just go about my life now with nothing to hide. Mm-hmm. I go I go into that to a fun brunch with friends to. Yeah. A date mm-hmm. and or a boardroom, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, to be able to bring yourself on unapologetically mm-hmm. with no shame yeah. and in such a fullness into a space, yeah, is 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 the reward, yeah, and that's just connected out to everything else that I do and how I interact with other people, yeah, it starts there that I'm able to enter into this space mm-hmm. without any filter at all. Yeah. That's what it's all about. We when, shouldn't have to live in anyone's you know, shadow, let alone your own. Right. We're not, we're not mm. really, we're not made for that. No. When you really own, when you accept yourself, because I think the, the biggest hurdle is like our own self-acceptance. Yeah. Like, yes, it's hard. But when you accept yourself, then it doesn't matter what other people... Especially the bad stuff. Yes. Especially the dark stuff. Yeah. Especially the messy stuff. Mm-hmm. That, that's what creates change, yep. I think, is owning the messy parts. Yeah. You, Dr. Brene Brown. This is would not be a Toni her. Morrison moment her. without a Dr. <laughs> Brene Brown quote. But, um, gosh, she studies shame. Mm-hmm. And um, I really got to know more of her work, obviously, in this space that I'm in. But she has this incredible quote about shame that where, where she defines shame. And it's something like, shame derives its power from being unspeakable. Mm, I think I've read that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like... Whew. Yeah. So what happens when we speak on, speak on it? It loses its power. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it really is just as simple as that. Yeah. We should write a little like quick like toilet notebook. So when you're, you know, when you have like simple life, like it wasn't there, but we should make a new one. Yes. I'm down. <laughs> okay. I'm down for the co-authoring. <laughs> Done. I love that. So what message do you hope to convey to listeners who may be struggling with their own sort of inner challenges, whether it's also HIV or yeah. like struggling with being authentic and and releasing their true self. Well, hearing how you reacted to it <laughs> really moved me. So thank you. Yeah. And man, what I want to say to people who are dealing with their own demons. Mm-hmm. And listen, this is not like I'm speaking as a demon-free person. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but I think it's really as simple mm-hmm. yet complex as there's never going to be an, another you. Hmm. Yeah. There's never going to be another you. So whether you burn that opportunity to live authentically or you wish you would have done something, said something, Mm -hmm. stepped into a space in a certain way, Mm -hmm. um, there's never going to be another you to do that. Yeah. So this is not to guilt anybody. Right. But I think that's really tied into empowering you to own not just your space but your fullness Mm -hmm. as well Mm -hmm. and to just be encouraged because there's also no one else that can do the things like you or how you do them i like how you talked about superpower yeah like having a superpower and it's it's so interesting because on the last episode that i reported for this season the one of the questions that like got triggered back to me was like what's your superpower oh man and i think finding your superpower it's like kind of finding your purpose yeah. And that is a whole journey in and of itself. 
But once you have identified your superpower, that's your superpower. Like you are yeah. unstoppable. And so it's really beautiful that you've that you found that. Totally. You find your purpose. You find your place. Mm-hmm. You find your voice. Yeah. All of it kind of falls into place. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So what are your, the positive things? I let crystal. I want to hear you crystallize them. Some of the positive oh things that have come since your diagnosis and being open about everything you've gone through. Well, I am dating someone. <laughs> this is the soft launch. <laughs> I know you're watching, listening. Um, but no, a quick beat on on dating. It was in the beginning really hard yeah. because that lack of education we talked about mm-hmm. existed. And can you, sorry, just can you educate people briefly yeah. on the difference between HIV and AIDS and yeah. how to treat? So for those who don't know. Yeah. So HIV is the the, the material virus mm-hmm. that can infect someone mm-hmm. when it, um, when it affects the body to a point, it becomes AIDS. Mm-hmm. So HIV and AIDS are, um, are not the same thing. Right. AIDS is a result of untreated right. HIV. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of misconceptions. Misconceptions. Mm-hmm. Um, and in parts of the world, I will also say parts of the country mm-hmm. where there is a lack of treatment and care, there is yeah. a, an AIDS epidemic. Yeah. Um, and, and, and issues with that and how we're able to grant people that care yeah. that includes being able to become undetectable. Mm-hmm. So that's the crucial part is expanding care and treatment to people, yeah. especially in prone areas here in the U.S. South, yeah, um, especially. And, you know, on that, we have some interesting research data at GLAD that shows about 49% of Americans feel like they're knowledgeable mm-hmm. about HIV. That's, but they, that's not a lot, though. That's, that's right? half of Americans. So, so just just under just under half of Americans yeah. here in It sounds like a lot, but now that I'm thinking about it, it's not really a yeah. lot. Cause yeah, no, totally. Of us. <laughs> um, but yeah. my point there is yeah. if just under half of Americans feel knowledgeable about HIV, where are the other 50% learning about it from? Yeah. It's through media, it's mm-hmm. through culture, it's mm-hmm. through conversations like this. It's also through, you know, polarizing. Right. politicians and misinformation so what will overcome and break stigma especially hiv stigma mm-hmm. is obviously education right treatment and care and mm-hmm. conversations like this but normalizing conversations yeah. like this too yeah okay back to dating soft launch <laughs> <laughs> and we're back <laughs> that was not planned at all a tease um i won't say much other okay. than my outlook on dating has really changed. Mm-hmm. For me, I was never a dater ever. I was a late bloomer mm-hmm. coming out. Like I didn't even come out until the end of my college career. And yeah. obviously when I wrote that Facebook post when I just moved to New York City. Right. So I I am innately not a huge dater. Mm-hmm. And then adding in the gay of it all, being in gay culture and dating and getting thrown into that mix with an HIV status also, I just had and have a lot of trauma innately there about just being deserving of love. Mm. I've, I've come so far. I'm an accomplished person, speaker, host, all these things. Come on now. (laughs) (laughs) But in in my personal life, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's taken a bit of a backseat. Yeah. And in, in the big, in the early years of my diagnosis, dating was really hard. I would get a lot of, um, well, first it was deciding when to share with someone, Mm -hmm. which there is no rule at all other than you should only share your story with people who deserve to hear your story. Yeah. Period. 100%. And, a lot of the mis- misinformation that existed also and especially existed yeah. within the queer community, mm-hmm. um, which we're getting there. We're getting there. Mm-hmm. But I got a lot of, wow, that's not really for me. Yeah. Sorry. Mm. What do you mean not really for you? What about me? Yeah. Or a, what would my, what would my parents or family think if mm. I dated someone who's HIV positive? Like, what I mean? What about my family? Yeah. Like what? Um, so we've 
come a long ways yeah. in terms of those are just my experiences, but yeah. I definitely have noticed in the last few years how that shifted and people mm-hmm. have been a lot kinder and more accepting and more um asking the right quote unquote right questions. Yeah. Um but yeah, I am dating someone mm-hmm. and I think the challenging part is they do L word me for <laughs> who I am and it's really freaking weird. Yeah, don't say that word. <laughs> <laughs> And I, we've had a conversation about this and um, it's my own journey, Mm -hmm. but I think to long-windedly answer your question about probably my number one positive thing that has come out of this is yes, the self-love, yes, the self-actualizations, but it's this journey I'm on right now Mm -hmm. of giving other people, giving myself access to people to love me Mm-mm. in the same way that I output that love. Yeah. Which is not easy. It's not. But we're getting there. Yeah. The fact that I can talk about it yeah. is 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 one thing. We think loving ourselves is like like the end, but that's just the beginning. Yeah. Well it's like, you know, people talk about uh, at, uh, just a door. Yeah. It's, it's the turnkey moment. Yeah. But you have to actually open the door. And then... <laughs> you know, there's like, yes, there's the turning of the key. You're so focused. The unlocking of the door. <laughs> yeah. But you have to also open the door. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's this Shakespeare quote also. I forget where I heard this, but we've all know that the world is our oyster. Yep. No one ever reads the rest of that sentence. What's the rest the of it? The next line is that you something <laughs> like, the world is our oyster, mm-hmm. but you have to open the oyster with a sword. Mm. Like, an oyster is an oyster, right? But it's like, <laughs> to open that thing with a sword? Yeah. So it takes effort Is that to really get how there. people open oysters? Yeah, they have to open it with like a knife thing. <gasps> yeah. Just go on TikTok right now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's I'm about to ruin talk. everybody's algorithms right now with oyster opening videos. <laughs> but hilarious. yeah, no one ever talks about the <clears throat> how things are not just given to you. Things can be mm-hmm. an opportunity can be handed to you, mm-hmm. right? An opportunity to see yourself in, in a different way. Yeah. An opportunity to see yourself how others sees you. Mm-hmm. Opportunity for other people to yeah, how others see you. How, yeah, you Is can that cut what you're that saying? part out. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but. You have to do the work. Yeah. You have also, to be ready for it. You have to be ready for mm-hmm. it and actually follow through and follow through on yourself. Yeah. I like how you said that the positive thing that you've learned. So let me see if I summarize it right. The positive thing you've learned is the ability to be loved. Yeah. Yeah. And something about the podcast that's been really interesting is how, like for me, I was really looking to inspire like the community and looking for my own inspiration too. But we've really built this like little community here and I've been so inspired by the community themselves, like not just the speakers, but just the people who've reached out and, and felt like really moved by the stories that are told here. So it's, it's interesting how we can have the mindset of something happening one way, Mm -hmm. but then if you're open to it, the love and the opportunity and the stories and the relationships and just the energy that can happen that we don't expect is like the really, really powerful, beautiful thing. And that's the living part. That's the most fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That just goes right back to me saying like, isn't life Mm -hmm. worth living? Yeah. That's part of that too. That is part of that. Wow. So this has been a really incredible time here. I'm like extremely moved by everything you said. (laughs) (laughs) so for the listeners at home do you want to tell them what truth be told yes is about so my show Mm -hmm. truth be told (laughs) hashtag tbt (laughs) um it's with a media group called plus life media where they where we Mm -hmm. turn positive into a plus Mm -hmm. and it was founded by my pal carl schmid Mm -hmm. who uh, is here in la Mm -hmm. and works for kabc and when he came out publicly about his hiv status there was definitely he saw a lack of Mm -hmm. um representation 
for those stories Mm -hmm. in the mainstream media. So he started this plus life, Mm -hmm. turning positive into a plus space and when yeah get it get it get it (laughs) three times what i got on (laughs) and isn't that like your superpower right we're talking about Mm -hmm. it's turning Mm -hmm. turning a hardship into a a positive yeah into a plus right so my beat is truth be told obviously Mm -hmm. coming forward with your truth yeah and hearing other people's truths. Yeah. I was so moved by how other people were moved by my story. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, we have to keep this going because mm-hmm. there's more out there. We have to, we have to, yeah. we have to keep setting people free mm-hmm. from themselves, you know? So. Mm, free from themselves. Come on now. We we'll wow. have to go to church now. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> but it's been really inspiring. I, I was saying earlier, it's more, it's become conversations with friends. Yeah. But it's conversations like this that you don't get to have every day. Yeah. So I'm really excited to keep that going. Um, it'll be coming back soon as a podcast. Yeah. Just announced. Um, but I, I'm excited to have more of those conversations and to really talk about yeah. how people have overcome a myriad mm-hmm. of difficulties and challenges. Yeah. Um, I, I had a, a season recently with, um, accidentally, actually, uh, predominantly trans women, mm-hmm. trans friends of mine wow. talking about their experiences mm-hmm. and, um, the one soundbite that, that I remember most is for, for many trans people, it's really about a thrive or die. Mm-hmm. They don't have a choice but to thrive because yeah. the alternative because of the alternative. Yeah. So that was really powerful to me. Mm-hmm. And those are the conversations that really inspire me. Yeah. To be like, yeah, I'm on board. I'm going to thrive or die too. Mm-hmm. So that's what Truth Be Told is all about. I love that. And where can people find it? At pluslifemedia.com okay. mm-hmm. or at pluslifemedia on social. Awesome. Wow. Okay. So I need to summarize this really quickly because <laughs> we we touched on a lot. Oh my gosh. We uh, and I loved went it all. a few different directions. <laughs> and I loved every single moment of it. <clears throat> so you're you had <clears throat> your two big moments, right? When you got diagnosed, and then when you decided to like reclaim you. Yeah. And I love how you reclaiming you and beyond being authentic and through that essay actually led you to a job. Which Isn't to, that wild? Yes, I love that part of it. It's like, you want me to do what full time? <laughs> this work? Yeah. And I'll say it in mainstream media. It's not, yeah. it's not a negative, but mm-hmm. there, for advocacy journalism and yeah. telling these stories as mm-hmm. a full time, there is a ceiling because you're yeah. you're working in network news, right? Mm-hmm. So the fact that I was able to meet that ceiling but continue the work yeah. in this capacity, mm-hmm. but also still work with all of my friends. Yeah. Um, from the network and, and other other outlets where I was working at. Yeah. Um, is incredible. Mm-hmm. And I could not have written that myself. Yeah, no. <laughs> like that, that's, and that's what I was really trying to point out to the listeners is like, we talk about how the unexpected turns can turn out better than we could have ever imagined. 100%. Wow. It, it's really not up to us to mm-hmm. plan our life. Yeah. It's just our jobs to live it. Mm. Thank you so much for being here. Appreciate you, Kenya. This was an incredible episode. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Follow and subscribe to the Thank You for Saying No podcast, and you'll get every episode as soon as it's released.